Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Welcome, everybody, to, <laughs> to Ruined. Uh, it's a podcast where we ruin a horror movie just for you. I'm Hallie. And I'm Allison. Allison, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, huge some exciting news. news. I'm very huge excited. Huge news over here. Um, I adopted a kitty. Now walk us through how you, how you got him. How, what what is his name okay. and why? He's, and then also why is he not on camera right now? Well, so oh my god, he's right here. Oh my gosh, Riz. I like that we might be doing a bit. Okay, you're getting him. I was like, what? It's a podcast. If you don't see the video version on Patreon, you'll just assume we're making it up. There he is. What a good guy. What a wonderful little oh gentleman. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Um, in case you are not watching this video, he's a tuxedo cat. He's a tuxedo cat with half a mustache. He's so cute. he loved being on camera. Um, we'll have to change that. Yeah, we'll get momager. him there. Um, but uh, he, was, he, sorry, he was not on camera initially because uh, there's construction sounds outside. And uh, he gets scared and hides under the couch when they start. <laughs> um, his name is Riz. Uh, that was the name that the person who rescued him gave him. And oh. I love it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Our engineer cat asked, named after Riz Ahmed. I Honestly, assume. similar vibes. Good like, energy. Real chill, handsome, elegant. <laughs> Hides under the couch if there's construction noise. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, knows Lena Dunham. Um, he's so, he's just like everything I've ever wanted. I don't know. I've wanted a cat. I had, ca- I had cats growing up. Um, and I wanted one for such a long time. And I kind of like put it into the universe. I was like, I think I'm ready. Like, I'm not um, not doing a ton of shows for the next, like, couple of weeks. Just, like, some stuff here and there. And then I'm home a lot, and it's gross outside. So I was like, this is, like, prime time to get a kitty adjusted. Absolutely. Winter in New York, get a cat I in mean, there. cat weather. Um, even though, like, today it's, like, 65 degrees. And I'm like, ah, it's February. <laughs> um, yeah, not great. Not great. Not good. Not good. Did it snow this year? Not going to. Um, <sighs> scary. Wait, it hasn't snowed at all in New York? We have not had enough accumulation to measure it, I think. Oh, it's like, you know, flurried and I know, it's so scary. <laughs> I mean, like, because how long have you lived in the city? Like 16 years? 15 yeah. years? I was there I've never 14. had a winter that it didn't snow no. once. I mean, I get that it's still, like, early February. Absolutely. We've got time for, like, a big snowstorm. March Ooh. can still be snowy, but... I don't know. It's like 60 degrees. It's not so. great. Also, I, I just want to backtrack when you said that he knew Lena Dunham. I had like a negative reaction. And I think on some level, I'm just going to say this. I was like, some part of me feels like Lena Dunham eats cats like Alf or something. Like there's something yeah. about like you wouldn't want to bring a cat into her house. And that's, I wouldn't no offense to Lena Dunham. Hey, we're all on different paths, but I do think no. that she eats cats like Alf. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't want them to ever spend time together. Um, but I, my friend who has a cat, um, and was, like, so, so support. She was, like, you have to do it. You have to do it. And she was, like, kind of, like, browsing uh, adopt, like, you know, cats that were up for adoption. And uh, a friend of hers, like, found Riz. Um, 
online and was like, wait, this cat needs a home and he looks awesome. And Julia sent it to me and I was like, wait, he seems great. And I was like on the train home from Maryland from a family funeral. And uh, I was like on the train, like a little wine drunk. And I was like, I'm going to DM the guy and see if I can have this cat. And then like the next day I went and picked him up. I mean, honestly, the most fruitful time you've ever slid into a man's DMs, so. Yes. The only time I'm going to slide into a man's DMs is be like, can I have your cat? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, he's so cute. He's so cute. And he's really, ch- like, aside from not, you know, loving being up on the desk, um, mm-hmm. which, like, good. I don't want you on the desk. Um, yeah. He's real chill. He likes to just, like, lean on me and just kind of lay across my lap. I don't have to, like, force him to be near me. He's always just kind of, like, circling and hanging out and— he came litter trained, and he knows not to get on the counters, and we're just having a good time. I'm so, so glad. There will be more Riz content as we, you know, as as our relationship evolves, and hopefully we'll get, like, a nice moment with him and his little little face on this, I'm begging uh, you. On this podcast. You know, because I'm allergic to cats, so I've, I've, I've thought oh. about, you know, and I've, I've had roommates with cats that I went in my 20s, which was a horrible idea, because it's basically like, yeah. as long as I don't touch them or interact with yeah. them, and that's not really sustainable when you live with a cat— so I'm really glad I can experience this vicariously at a distance where best. my allergies will not be triggered. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that, like, whatever, you know, cat fur thing uh, bothers you won't come through uh, the internet. <laughs> so Thank you. I mean, you never know, but. Now he's just standing amongst all of his toys that I bought oh. him. Um, I want ah, He's so cute. I'm obsessed with him. I'm so obsessed with him. <laughs> I'm so glad. I was like, oh, was I lonely? <laughs> I mean, I could have told you that, Allison. I mean, and that was the question. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm in Portland visiting a friend of mine. Um, her name is Megan O'Connell. She oh, nice. uh, is a features editor over at Romper. If anyone reads that website, it's for parenting. Sort of. I mean, they cover a lot of different things, but a parenting website. A lot of really excellent material. Um, she also has a great book called um, "And Now We Have Everything" about. Uh, oh, yeah. Like getting yeah, yeah, pregnant yeah. in her 20s and sort of like that experience. So visiting her and her wonderful family and oh, their out-of-control nice. dog, Wally, who is <gasps> like, he's like half Grey Dane, half um, Rhodesian Ridgeback or something. He's he's like, he's a year old and he's probably going to get bigger. He's gigantic. I mean, anything with, mixed with a Great Dane is already like approaching equine. Right. Like, <laughs> and it's like, he just keeps leaping up on me and I'm like, I really have no recourse other than like, if I were to punch this dog in the face, and I just can't do it. I just got here yesterday. I got to go at least have a couple days of goodwill before I punch their dog in the face. You can't come in that hot. Um, But, yeah, another thing I've decided to do while I'm here, because Portland, I was like, there's queer people out the gang here. So I got on the, um, have you heard of the uh, app Lex, L-E-X? I have, yeah. And so what's interesting about it, and I'm not, I, I have not been on any apps in years. I yeah. mean, so, like, even that, like, just getting on just any app. Just the concept of like, an app. You know, separate from any other, you know, personal journeys is its own thing. Are you on the apps right now, Allison? Like, because I feel like a lot of people are on and then take a break and go back on. I I gave it a whirl a couple months ago. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a month. I'm going to, like, take it seriously and try and get on it, like, once a day and, like, try, like. Which sucks, like, like, to have to mentally decide that. Like, I'm going to, like. Making an appointment to be like, find a person to love you. Um, Yeah. Like, (laughs) on your phone. Yeah. and I just didn't really, like, it's it's never been something that I've um, felt good with, even though I know so many people have, like, met really great people that 
they've either dated or some have married. Like, I understand. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not, like, it's not a judgment. It's just, like, it's just not, I haven't ever felt good doing it. Yeah, it's just, like, I think it's, like, a lot of, I don't know, like, social media or, like, the things we interact with. It's sort of, like, if your mind is not set up in that way, then yes. you interact with it in a way that I feel like it could be kind of self-punishing or, I don't know, like, bring up a lot of other stuff that is not, that should not be baked into finding romance, you know? Yes. Yes. But uh, but Lex, I, I got Lex because it is it is dating, but it's also, like, I think because it's mostly aimed at, like, queer women. Yeah. It is um, sort of also a community app. So, like, people are like, oh, does anyone like jazz? I'm going to go to this, yeah. whatever. And so I was looking at the Portland one, and I'm going to post on there, like, oh, I'm in town. Are there any, like, gay things I should go to? And then the first post is—and this is not a criticism of this person. This, no. per, this is—people looking to fuck, and I completely support that. You know me. But the first one is, uh, in Portland, is emergency dom shortage. And I'm like, well, I can't help with that. I don't have the skill set. And then the second one is, the title of it is, looking for sociopaths. And I'm like, I, it just makes me feel like I have to, like, speed run being gay. You know what I mean? Where I'm just like, I don't have anything to, to add to these people's lives. No. Whatsoever. Those are two really intense uh, kickoffs. And honestly, to- God, good luck to the to people of Portland. <laughs> totally. The people of Portland. I mean, if you are a dom and it seems like Portland is in need of you, maybe you could like stop by like you're like, I don't know, Wonder Woman or something, like swoop in. Yes. Yeah. And look, hey, we're all here for different stuff. And then also like the idea of taking photos for the app. Allison, there's nothing more horrifying to me than like, oh, I have to imagine myself being perceived no. and I want to like represent it accurately, but also the idea of like, I'm going to make my friend take photos. I can't do it. No, and I have, like, very few photos of myself that are not, like, professional or, like, on stage. And I'm yeah. like, well, those give away what I do, and it's not something I want to lead with. With like, Interesting. I mean, especially, like, dating men, it's not mm. something that, like, I don't know if you found that back in the past, but, like, there's a lot of, like, weird energy around, like, oh, you think you're funnier than me? And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I'll be honest, I think I did it but only because I pretty much exclusively dated people in the comedy community. So I was yes. only dating other stand-ups or improvisers or people who did yeah, comedy. Yeah, so, writers and things, yeah. But maybe that was why I did was because there that was the one thing where, like, they already saw it. You know, like, there yeah. was no surprise. Um, but then it's hard because I'm not telling you to date a comedian. You know, like, that's, no. that's tough, too. <laughs> not anymore. Um, um, so, yeah, well— we're on Listen, journeys. we're on a journey. Also, if you live in Portland and there, you know about gay stuff that you think I should go to, tell me. I'll, I'm, I want to visit again. I love it. I've never been here before. Oh, Portland rules. I, I really like it. I We went to a Hawaiian restaurant yesterday. It was great. Um, I, I'm I'm going to go to—well, we missed Queerioke, but I, I did see that. Oh, but that's fun. I'm sure there's other stuff this weekend. I'm sure there's tons of stuff. Portland's a very, like, activity-driven city. Good. So. I'm so glad. Um, I think. Yeah, they're— great food. They're opening up like a lesbian bar in Silver Lake in Los Angeles, which is will be Finally. the only permanent freestanding lesbian bar. I'm like, that place is gonna be fucking mobbed. It's called Ruby yeah. Fruit. I think it's right on Sunset. And people, I'm like, people are just gonna be standing in the parking lot, and that's fine. That's what it should I'm, be. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right. Well, let us begin. Oh God, it's still horny month. I'm so sorry. It's honestly, it's always horny month. It's but always it's horny month. They were only getting horny, horny month on the pod. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and I just want to say before we get into it, because I was thinking that, like, so we are doing a sequel, and yes. I was like, oh, I wonder how much of the first movie Allison remembers. It and, was the first thing I thought of when I was watching mm-hmm. the trailer was, I don't remember anything about this. Exactly. I remember some specifics, but, like, almost nothing about the plot. And I want to be absolutely clear, I know that about you, and I would never, ever make you remember anything, okay? Thank you. 
But uh, I wanted to recommend a, a short science fiction story that immediately Ooh. came to mind. It's, it's by Ted Chang, who wrote the story that Arrival is based on. And oh, okay. this name of the short story is The Truth of Fact, The Truth of Feeling. And it's sort of like in the near future, there's this new technology called Remem. And it's essentially like you can install search algorithms in your own memory and like sort of like go through it. But then he sort of is talking about, and then we have someone in the past um, uh, of, of a culture that is learning to write in written, uh, like written mm-hmm. language versus doing oral storytelling. And it's just sort of like an interesting rumination on how memory works, where it's like every yeah. time we have new technology, it's true. Oh, another thing I need to bring up. My phone, I, I listen, I'll be honest, I could have lost it, but I believe my phone was stolen. I was out yeah. in high tops in West Hollywood having a great time, but watch your fucking phone if, if you're at any place with dancing in LA. And I yeah, didn't have my phone. It's easy for it to get like, just like kind of like when there's a, any crowded experience, yeah. it's like, just put your phone in your bra. <laughs> you know, and I had it in my bag and then I took it out to text somebody and I put it in my pocket. Literally yeah. within a minute, go to reach for it, it's gone. It's gone. But I really had, it was, I, it was, on Saturday, and then I didn't get my phone. I didn't get a new phone until Wednesday, Oof. and um, it was a to go there. And thank God, I had uh, my friend write down his number and then Dave's number, and, and then he got me an Uber to the AT and T because I was like, oh, I I don't know anyone's number by memory, and that's not good. No. No, not one. I think I know my mother's cell phone number, but, like, she lives in Ohio. So it's like, what would that— She'd have to do the same thing. Like, she'd have to get me numbers of people more local. So that was a harrowing um, experience just in terms of my own memory of how— like, to suddenly have the core of your being gone and having to remember what's going on. Shocking stuff. No, it's it's very hard, and it's scary to not know. It's like— of all, the, I don't remember anything, but like I still know the number for Domino's in my hometown because we used to call it every day from the pool. Um, so you could always call them if something bad happens. I'm like, is this Domino's still open? They're like, what? <laughs> hey, Domino's, can you pick me up? <laughs> I live in New York City. I did do that um, once, and then we could obviously get to the pod. I know we're like doing a lot of rambling. Um, I, Who cares? Um, These people don't care. They listen. They know true. what's going on. You're in. Um, in college. Natasha and I were rowers, and the the boathouse that we rowed out of was like a solid couple of miles, and it was down the hill, you know, was where the lake is. And so we had like gone to practice. It was like before anybody, like most of us had cars and stuff. And so like people would pile like eight or nine people into a car and like drive up the hill back to where we lived. Mm-hmm. And there was one practice, and it was already dark out. It was the fall. It was raining. And we were like getting ready to leave. And like, Everybody was like, there's no more room in any of the cars. Because, like, we would run down as, like, exercise, like extra exercise. I, what a psychotic mm-hmm. way to live. Um, and then, like, <laughs> would try and get rides back up. And so there was no one. And we were like, it was me, her, and another girl. And we were like, we can't. It's dark out. We just worked out for, like, three hours. Like, I can't run directly uphill for 40 minutes. Like, that's no. not happening. And walking like would take forever. And so we were like, how do we, like, we didn't even, I think I had a cell phone. But, like. I didn't know how to who to call, um, so right. we walked to this Papa John's that was like um, mm. near the boathouse, and we were like, "Can we order a pizza to North Campus?" And they were like, "Yeah, sure." And we were like, "Okay, cool." Um, and can we get a ride with the guy oh. delivering it? And he was like, "They were like, no, we can't do that. That's like a huge. We do not have the insurance for that." And we were like, "God damn it. Okay, fine." It was and a good like, idea though. And so we like walked out, and then this guy ran out who worked there and was like. I'll drive you. And we were all like, okay. And I'm like, how did we not get murdered? 
I mean, you know, I, I despite what this podcast might show, most people are not out to murder you. You know, yes, and especially this, this episode, true. quite it's quite the yes. opposite. Yes. But I'm yes. really glad you weren't murdered so that you were alive to do this pop with movie. me. So it really worked out for me is what I'm hearing. Yes. Um, well, let's begin. The sequel we're doing is, of course, Hellraiser 2, Hellbound, colon, Hellraiser 2, which I had not seen and it's just the oh, fucking best. I I'm love it so you much. Seen it. it feels like very much in your wheelhouse. You know what I realize? I do I do this with TV, movies, and books. I will not watch something because then I will have watched it. So, for mm. example, I have yes. still not seen the last two episodes of the second season of Fleabag. Because then when I see it, I will have then I can't never see, see them for the first time again. Yes. Which I know is not now great. I get it. But I, I realized with this too, I'm like, well, once I see it, I'll see it. And then I saw it, I'm like, well, what a delight. So I yes. don't know what that is. Uh, readers, yeah. write in if you if you could um, diagnose me with whatever the fuck that's going on. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. And of course, we always like to have Allison react to the trailer. Allison, what did you think of the trailer for Hellbound, colon, Hellraiser 2? It definitely like, remi- I was like, oh, some of this is familiar. Like mm-hmm. the vibe of this. I have to say, like, you know, it's, like, hard to—I guess they're all going to hell. Like, uh, that's where all the They are hellbound, yeah. Um, I will say it made me miss seeing people who have not had a ton of plastic surgery. That's, uh, that's a really great point. Everyone in this are, like—I mean, gorgeous, but, like, regular Stunning. people. Right, like, yes. the— you know, I don't know who's who yet, but, like, there's, you know, a woman that we're, like, tight on in a shot at one point. And she has, like, blue eyes and, like, brown hair. And she's, like, this gorgeous 80s— woman. And it's like, God, if you were making this today, and I understand that we did like, you know, the re- but like in the hands of most directors and casting agents, like the beautiful woman who's enticing people would be like, no, um, big, <laughs> sorry, Riz was eating the wall. Um, like, oh yeah, there's you know, a big, big gaping hole in the wall behind you. I mentioned <laughs> He's gone. Um, oh. it's a portal. Um, Big fake lips, like, Mm -hmm. you know, all the filler, all which, like, look, all these women look beautiful, but, like, you just don't, like, it's just so refreshing to see some, like, non-altered faces. Absolutely. And I believe you're talking about Claire Higgins, who plays Julia. And that was also a a comment uh, who returns in this film. Um, That was something that I also noticed in the first one. And what I really loved about the original Hellraiser and what I think was lacking in the the remake, just because the remake kind of made it more about addiction rather than... Yes. Raw fucking lust. Yeah. Was that um, Julia is this like 48 year old woman. She's married a man with an adult daughter. The sex is whatever. And then she has sex one time with his hot, depraved brother. It was, and when that brother yes. gets, goes to Hellraiser Dimension, she says, And then he yeah. doesn't have skin. Yeah. And then so, and a good, this is a good recap too. And then, of course, in order to get his skin back and get him back into the into human realm, she helped him murder all those gentlemen she picked up at the bar. Yeah. Yeah. And so then it's like, oh, so not only has she had sex one time and it made her insane, which is fun, but also yeah. then she has to sort of seduce all these businessmen. So it is this like, that I think what makes it hornier and more interesting is specifically because on paper she is a regular woman. Like that is yes. way more interesting than like, oh, the most beautiful woman in the world wants to fuck me. Sure, I'll go back and get murdered in this house. Yeah, exactly. I yeah, want it, her to have to turn it on, you know? Yeah, yeah. A little bit of like the like under her skin, under the skin. Yes. Like, yeah. Um, where it's like, yeah, Scarlett Johansson, like anybody's gonna follow you anywhere. I like, would, oh, I would the, be murdered by, by her today. And I don't even mean sexually. I just mean if she wants to straight up murder me, great. That's great. I'm totally on board. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I, I think that's a great observation. And I yeah, it's like 
I don't know. Like, not that you can't. I Liz, we've done plenty of horror movies with, like, young, hot, like, actors and actresses. Sure. But there is something about the regular person being drawn into this, like, depraved escapade that I, I do agree makes it more fun. Yeah. Um, and we, we also like to take a baseline scary. Allison, how scary do you find the concept of revenge? Specifically, revenge from, I guess, beyond the grave. It would be how I would think of it. Oh, well, like, the scariest kind of revenge. Mm-hmm. Because that I would person agree. really has an axe to grind. They're dead now. <laughs> Can you imagine wanting revenge from beyond the grave? I guess it's, like, hard to imagine unless that specific situation happens. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Bruce makes a lot of sounds, um, and I'm just making sure he's not dead. <laughs> okay. I can't hear him, but I wish I could hear all the sounds. It's not like meow. he does meow a little bit, but it's like he, like, bumps into things. <laughs> it's real cute. I guess he's, he's just learning your apartment. Yeah. New, new space. I love him. He's so sweet. Um, yeah. So I guess, like, beyond the grave revenge. Yeah, I don't, like— I don't, I'm, are you a grudge holder? We've talked about this. I'm not, like, the biggest grudge holder. Like, I get annoyed at people. Right. But, like, I'm not, like, I must right this wrong, you know? Yeah, it also just seems impossible. Like, I maybe that's about, like, just giving up before I, I even try, which I do love yeah. to do. With you, like, ah, I'm not going to do that. Like, no. It's, like, it's a like, lot of work. It's in the past now. Oh, it's my God. I, love, I already have a lot of work. I'm not going to fucking seek revenge. Not adding anything to my plate, that's for sure. Yeah. And then before we get started, would you like to guess the twist in Hellbound, colon, Hellraiser 2? Since I have a hard time understanding what's happening in the movie anyway, um, I'm going to guess that maybe the woman has been dead, is mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm, yes. And, and all of this sex is... Okay. Okay. Like, it was an illusion. It's like, it's like an it's an illusion. It's okay. imagined. Like it's it, it's happening in somebody's mind, not in like actual like corporeal. Ooh. Okay. Oh yeah. Like the there, so world. at the end we find out like someone's like like, like you haven't been fucking this whole time. Okay. Like, great. But you've been imagining it. I mean, terrifying. I mean, um, it's just a sex dream. <laughs> well, let us begin. Fortunately, there's no shortage of dobs. There's there's a lot of emergencies, <laughs> but there are no shortage of dobs in Hellbound Hellraiser Two. A lot of emergencies. Um, which is directed by Tony Randall and the screenplay is by Peter Atkins, and of course based on the story by Clive Barker, which was the uh, the uh, source material for the first movie. Mm-hmm. And let us begin. We will ruin Hellbound Hellraiser Two. <clears throat> <clears throat> We open on a man's voice from the first. So this person is from the first Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. And he's asking, what's your pleasure, sir? And we get sort of, and luckily in the movie, don't worry, they actually have some very artful um, recapping of the first movie throughout the film. Now that's what I like to see. And it's hard to do in a sequel, especially a horror sequel. And I do feel like they do it in a, if maybe not eloquent, but a, a neat way, you know. Yeah. And we see Frank Cotton, Uncle Frank, at the end of the first movie. We see him, his face and body are being pulled apart by chains. And he licks his lips, Alice, and he says, Jesus wept. And then we see him torn apart by the Cenobites' chains. And we get sort of the last moments of Hellraiser, which if you remember, it's Kirsty, who is mm-hmm. Frank's uh, niece, Kirstie and her boyfriend, Steve, are trying to escape the house, which is physically crumbling around them. Yes. As the Cenobites pursue them and taunt them. Luckily, Kirstie is able to get her hands on the, the puzzle box, the lament configuration. Yes. 
closes it, sucks them back into their dimension. And Allison, boy, you'd think that'd be the end of it. But here we go. We're th- There's a, a moment, a scene in the past, and we see... Uh, the past, like... Being oh god, Allison. Um, well, I'm just asking, uh, like, is it like, is it like from the first movie or a different yeah, time? Yeah. So, uh, what is the past? Is first of all, I was in oh, the boy. early 1900s. Now we have to figure out time. When did India? Um, when was India? When did India overthrow the English? Okay, so we're not talking about like 1989. No, no. We? So this is decades okay. ago, within the within the last century. Okay, so just like the past, it's not like tied to the first. No, we're seeing a little bit um, before that. Yeah. So I think we're supposed to think the 40s, the 30s. um, And um, chill times and global history. (laughs) Let's see. Okay. India remained a crown dominion until uh, 1950. So predating that, we see um, a soldier, a British colonialist soldier in a bunker alone. And we hear someone uh, speaking Hindi over the shortwave radio, and we see sort of um, he, the materials of his life. We see his helmet, his his rifle, and unfortunately, Allison, the most important material in his life, which is, of course, the lament configuration. Yeah, of course. And we see this, this soldier, his name is Elliot Spencer, and we oh. see him <laughs> twisting the box. Unfortunately, he's able to open it, and he is— in front of us, transformed into Pinhead. So we're seeing a little bit of Pinhead's origin story. Oh, okay. So again, we're establishing Pinhead was human, which again was kind of a question of like, who are these guys? How long have they been at it? Have they been at it for centuries? Are they, you know, sex aliens? You know, did they know what, did they know their origin story? And when he figures out the puzzle box, a tiny doorway opens and you better believe a bunch of chains shoot out and attach to his skin. Of course. And we see the blade slicing a grid into his scalp and then a hammer driving the pins into his oh, skull God. as he screams. I don't know why I thought maybe they came from the inside out, not the outside oh, in. That's so much worse. <laughs> from the well, like, inside. If he was not human. <clears throat> like, you know what I mean? Like, if he was like an alien where it's like, oh, that's just like growing the way hair grows. Okay, not that they were hammered right. in. Yeah. Because they're more like, part of him and not foreign objects. Uh, because the the idea of pins driving them from the inside, what would propel them? How would they get there, Allison? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, gross either way, but wow, you really you took it to the next level. I get, like, I thought, again, I thought the pins were like hair. Yeah. No, no, no. That adds up. But unfortunately, it turns out they are just <laughs> pins driven into his skull by some Super sort of preternatural, um, extra-dimensional hammer. And we hear his voice whispering, the suffering, the sweet suffering. Unfortunately, Allison, we see Kirstie wake up in the Chenard Institute, which is, of course, a psychiatric facility. Obviously. And she's immediately gets starts getting grilled by Detective Ronson. Allison, this is the next damn day. This girl doesn't from even get From the first a, movie? From the first fucking movie. She's literally still covered in soot from the house collapsing. I do appreciate a sequel that, Me like, too. really just picks right up where we yeah. left off. Yeah, we don't need any— Well, like, when we see her, like, oh, she's living in America and she's healing. No, get into it. Um— they tell her, oh, by the way, your boyfriend, Steve, we sent him home. Which is like, he's not going to be in this, so don't think you're going to see him again. Great. And she says, who the fuck are you? And Detective Ronson apologizes and says, you know, I was at your father's house. And they, we see Mo- Kirstie remember, oh, her father died. So her father, if you remember, one of the victims of Frank and Julia. And then Frank puts on her father's skin. 
So we get that moment of come to daddy, you know, his Frank's sort of like incestuous lust for Kirstie in the moment literalized when he is wearing her father's skin, which of course she then realizes. And the movie does like a little bit of retconning because we see there's two officers, Officer Cortez and Officer Kusich, and they're in the house. And the house looks bad, but like at the end of the first Hellraiser, the whole thing's fucking coming down. Yeah, like yeah. it shouldn't even have it's like imploding. a second floor. Exactly. Right, yeah. So they're in there and they keep finding, as you remember, uh, Julia killed all of those businessmen who thought they were just gonna fuck. Yes. And then kind of stored them in the spare bedroom, which, again, right. a hilarious move. So they keep finding all these corpses, and they're like, oh, actually, like, something really bad happened in this house. This is not just, yeah. like, last night there was a fire or something. No, no. Um, and back at back at the Institute, Ronson chides Kirstie and says, can you tell me what happened in that house without a demon fairy tale? And there's so many incredible one-liners. Like, I could if there wasn't a demon right, fairy like, tale uh, attached to this. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but she says, fairy tales, some of them come true, Mr. Rodson. Even the bad one. Yes. It, this is worth watching for the uh, one-liners alone. Dialogue. Yeah. But basically what we find out is that Detective Ronson and his crew, they assume, like, that she witnessed something truly horrific, somebody in her family murdering these people, yeah. and so that she's made up the Cenobites in this story to protect herself from the truth. Mm-hmm. So that's why she's there. Like, they're going to have her sort of examined, probed, prodded, have her mind, uh, you know— opened up and the truth taken out, which is sort of like the the overriding horror of this movie is medical and psychiatric. So there are okay. these moments of like... Scary. Yeah, it's like a new level of um, body horror. It's the ho- mind horror, you know? Yes. Um, so Ronson gets a call from one of the officers. They say, huh, we keep hiding a bunch of dead bodies. Uh, we're going to bring them in. Should we bring in this bloody mattress? And Ronson says, yeah, anything you find, it's evidence. Tag it and bag it. Yeah. What? But Kirstie goes, mattress. And if you don't remember, and I know you don't, Allison, it is the mattress that her stepmother, Julia, was murdered on. Mm. So Frank stabs her. And because basically Frank's like, bye, bitch. You think I was going to be like monogamous after all this? I use you to kill all those people so I could come back to the human realm. Right. And then we last time we see her, she's dying chained to a mattress bleeding out. Okay. So sure. that is the mattress she died on. And Kirstie okay. immediately recognizes, oh, wait a minute. What did I, I remember know that from? Mattress. Yeah. But then we meet a new villain. And it's a pretty impressive to have a new villain in a Hellraiser film. And so that's why I'm so glad is like, it's like um, Frasier. Oh. On paper, you'd think, okay, Frasier's like the stuffy, you know, like a feet one. And then his brother would be like the man's man. No, Frasier is stuffy and a feet. And then his brother Niles is even, even more, more stuffy, yes. right? He's even more British in his way. Yes. And so similarly, it's like, oh, you don't want to have it be like, oh, no, this is real. It's like, no, no, he is even, if anything, more insane than the Cinnabites. At least the Cinnabites have had the actual experience. Yes. This guy is like a mad scientist, right? Oh, no. I don't like that. Yeah, and unfortunately, he is the head of the Institute. His name is Dr. Philip Chenard. And the he head of the Institute it. is never a good person. Oh, no, because he has too much control. And we literally see him, again, a perfect scene to sum up. Like, what's this guy's deal? He is doing open uh, brain surgery on a patient. Um, and the patient is alive, which I guess does happen with brain surgery. Like, they keep I, alive, sorry. The patient awake. is awake, yeah. which they do to, like, make sure, you know, that they're doing something right and they're not, like, lo- immediately becoming unconscious. Yes. He's literally monologuing about, like... The mind is a labyrinth, ladies and gentlemen, a puzzle. And while the paths of the brain are plainly visible, its ways deceptively apparent, its destinations are unknown. 
It's secret, still secret. You know, sort of, again, paralleling the depravity of the Hellraiser experience. Yes. And his assistant, Kyle McRae, looks on as he's sort of holding court. And just then, he's literally performing brain surgery, Allison. A call comes over the intercom, and he literally, like, puts down his uh, drill and calls to Kyle and says, come on now, leaves in the middle of brain surgery. That's how much of a piece of shit this guy is, right? Wow. And he sort of fills in Kyle about Kirstie's allegations, like these wild stories about the Cenobites and, like, Frank, her uncle coming back to life, and her stepmom murdering all these people— and they walk in to find Detective Ronson sort of in an altercation with Kirstie because she's screaming and wants to be let go, understandably. And he says, let's calm down. I want to interview Kirstie alone and have her be my patient. And Ronson says, okay, I'll come back tomorrow Ugh. and we'll interview her patient again. Patient-doctor is a fucked-up relationship anyway. Well, it is, like, um, similar to, um, in some ways, and I hope people will take this in the way that I mean it, which is simply— to draw this comparison, it is like the police, where it's like you are inherently vulnerable around them. Yes. And you have and they to have rely the on them. And you yeah. have to rely on them to be decent people. And then when you, that's why when you see these stories, you yes. know, like the one that comes to mind is like, there are these people who find out like that their sperm donor were all this, their fertility the doctor. doctor. It turns out yes. that motherfucker had like dozens of kids. It's like you are, your life and your child's like existence is, is in his hand. And he takes advantage of you. It's such a, like, and you, why would you even think that would happen? You know, so it's that yeah. kind of thing where it's like the betrayal seems so much worse because we know as a society, like they are more responsible. We do have to rely on them. I can't right. diagnose my own problems. You know, I don't no. have the skill set. And the set. stakes are very high. Yes, like this. It's not just. It's like skydiving, where it's like, yeah, every time it goes well, great, but the one time it goes bad, you die. Exactly. So. Right. And it's like, we're all vulnerable. And that's, I think, again, like, that's the horror they're playing with is like the vulnerability physically, obviously, but like mentally of having someone who, as we find out, has bad intentions over you, you know. And uh, fortunately, as soon as uh, everyone's in the room, Kirstie says, you have to destroy the mattress because she overheard Ronson's phone call. And she's trying to explain Julia was murdered on it and she could potentially come back, much like Frank was murdered in that uh, the room in their house, in their new house. And he came back after blood dripped on the floor. So she's saying if that if Frank could come back because of that, Julia could come back because of something similar. Yes. No one believes her. Chenard and Ronson step out to talk, and Kyle tries to be, befriend Kirstie and, like, calm her down. Like, don't worry. Like, this is a safe place. Like, we're here, you know, for you. And she's so upset. She's like, he doesn't believe me, does he? And Kyle says, just because he doesn't believe you doesn't mean it's not true. So that's our first sign that Kyle is going to be open to— Okay. What's going on, right? Yes, he is in. Yeah. So that night, Kirstie wakes up to the sound of another patient in the next room solving a wooden puzzle. And she sort of, she steps out in the hallway and looks in. There's like a little window and there's a teen girl who looks up at her and she just has, she's working constantly on puzzles. Uh, Kyle approaches, he has okay. um, Kirstie's night medications, which is like a sleep aid. And she says, oh, like, that's Tiffany. She's been here six months. We don't actually don't even know her name, but the nurses have named her Tiffany. She doesn't speak, and she only solves puzzles. Well, thank God, because we're going to need her here in a minute. I mean, you know what I mean? If anyone has needed a puzzle solver, <laughs> it's the people in any of the Hellraiser movies. <laughs> yeah. But Kirstie's like, I don't want medication. She goes to goes back to sleep. But as she's lying there, the sound of the wooden blocks grinding together and, like, the radiator throwing off steam. She's like, I can't sleep. And when she sits up, Allison, she sees what looks to be the figure of her dead, skinless father writing on the wall in blood, I am in hell. Help me. 
And she shuts her eyes well, and opens them again. The He's gone. The message is still there in blood. See, if it was like, yeah. If it was like, oh, everything is gone. It's like, okay, these are nightmares, night terrors. Yeah, I'm but just like, absolutely horrible. The message still being there. He's in hell. And she goes over to touch it. The blood is still wet, Allison. And then she does, this is a, what a classic, a classic Hellraiser moment. She sort of puts her fingers to her lips and just puts the blood on her mouth. Ew. Ew. No real reason. Ew. Just It's just a fucking awesome movie. Yeah, it's great. Um, in the next room, like when it happens, Tiffany looks up from her puzzle to camera. Like, yeah, she's obviously going to be uh, involved. At this point, Kiersey realizes or decides on some level that she is going to have to rescue her father from the Hellraiser dimension. And Allison, I wanted to a- ask you, would you descend into hell to rescue your father? I mean... Be honest with me, okay? He's 75. <laughs> no, I love my dad so much. He's the best. Um, well, he is also like, he's not getting out of there. You know, so it's like, yeah, right. he's 75, but like your soul ostensibly like, is going to be there forever. Right, yeah. But it's like, I like, what are the... Uh, like? If the odds were very high that I could actually rescue him, mm-hmm. I would do it. But they aren't. Yeah, also, I don't <laughs> think we have the odds. I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I absolutely would go to hell to rescue my father as long as he knows, and I know, I'm just going to get stuck in hell and murdered. Like, I'm yeah, not going to be able to. I'm, I don't even, wouldn't know where to begin with that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't think we're coming back. So it's like, it's more just like, would you voluntarily go to hell if your dad was there? And this thing is like, I know my father, and I think he would say, don't do it. But in that moment, I might, I must like, much like Kiersey's running into, you might want to try, you know? Yeah. I don't want him to be suffering, but I also don't know what I can do to help. Uh, Allison, if I get sucked into hell, do not, we've talked about this. Do not come for me. Do, don't come back save for me. yourself. Do don't not come go back find for me. me. Don't do anything. Live you your life. Live your life. Get another cat and name her Hallie, and <gasps> then li- I will live on in that way. Hallie cat. Well, I want a cat. <laughs> what if I got one of those hairless cats that, because I, have I, you ever I, touched one? No. They're very Hellraiser. Um, Ooh, they okay. don't feel like what you think they're going to feel like. You have a set, like, I bet you think it's going to feel one way. That's not what it feels like. In my mind, it feels like a snake made out of, like, um, like a scrotum. Like, it's like a, a snake that's, like, has that, it's like, soft so skin. It's not so far off, but, it okay. is still, but, it's, but it's still not quite. You will be surprised when you finally Ooh, touch Ooh, okay. Well, now I want it to happen. Okay. They're nice. Uh, so the next day, Chenard uh, arrives at the Institute and does, like, a lap. He's sort of, you know, is king of his castle. There are a lot of patients outside. They're playing. There's, like, a, one of those, like, a big room with a bunch of beds in it. And oh, everyone's sure. doing, like, okay there. And then, Allison, he goes to the basement level where clearly they keep the hard cases, mm-hmm. a.k.a. patients they want to lock away and forget about forever. Yes. It's horrible. There's a big boiler. It's, like, very Freddy Krueger. Oh, like, hot steam. And all these people are locked in individual padded cells. Yeah. And they're all extremely distraught Prison and uncared vibes. for. Yeah. yeah. And he's just like looking in the window again, like he's looking at an insect. Um, Kyle <laughs> goes to visit Kirstie, who tells him, I was visited by my father, who was alone and suffering in hell. And Kyle says, Okay, I'm going to go get Chenard. Maybe we can do a set, like a, we'll sit down and talk. Yes. And Kirstie says, Oh, you're going to get him? Well, does he have a ticket to hell? Again, great lines. Ticket to hell. When Kyle goes to get Chenard, he overhears him asking Detective Ronson to bring the bloody mattress not to evidence, but to Chenard's personal home. No. This is the police are in bed with the Hellraiser dimension. What are you talking about? That's not how it works. Um, fortunately, when Shannard does go to see Kiersey, she explains the first movie, you know, Frank and Julia. She's intuited all of it. Like, she's figured all of it. Like, Frank and Julia must have been having an affair when he was alive, but then the box got him. And, 
you know, somehow he came back to life and Julia brought him men to make him stronger so she could have him. But the Cenobites came in and she basically says, like, I made a deal, which she did, like, to lead them to Frank. Basically, mm-hmm. like, I told them that Frank mm-hmm. escaped yes. and I, they spared me only to find out that her father was killed and they gave Frank his skin, you know? Yes. And she says to Chadard, do you think I'm crazy? And he tells her, I don't like to use that word. Mm. Also, Allison, he doesn't think she's crazy. Why? Because he's having the fucking mattress delivered to his house. Oh, God. There's so much talk about this mattress. I would love to know if there's another movie where a mattress figures in to the, to the plot of a movie in the way in the way this mattress does. Meanwhile, Shadard gets the mattress delivered to his house. And you know where this is going. Kyle's, Kyle's, of course, like now interested. He sneaks in. Kyle sneaks into his office. And he says, weird. Boy, you said it, Kyle. I mean, understatement of the century. <laughs> Kyle looks in the office. Allison, there are photos of the lament configuration. There are boards with calculations. Allison, he has... Chenard has three lament configuration puzzle boxes under glass. He is obsessed with the lament configuration. I mean, and, and so, like, the fact that Kiersey ended up there is actually, like, an incredible gift to him. Yes. Um, and we see this, uh, you know, we see the flashback again, like, Frank getting resurrected when blood dripped on the site of his murder. So where's Chenard going to get a blood? That's right, Allison. He's going to sacrifice his, the psychiatric patients in the basement. No. Yeah. No, you can't do that. And let me tell you, he'll get his, but when you find out that's what he's doing, you're like, oh, God, like these poor what a people. piece of shit. And Kyle finds a scrapbook with all these articles about sort of the theory, his theory of what the Hellraiser dimension is. And there's one called Children of the Vortex, puberty, um, like puberty's linked to psychic phenomenon. And another headline is Death the Fourth Dimension. Oh, God. As well no. as a photo of Elliot Spencer, a.k.a. Pinhead. So even he knows he has the information. Elliot Spencer as a human? Um, also, is it Elliot Spencer? They get, oh, for a second, I was like, isn't Elliot Spencer, Spencer the— um, No, I know. It's so close to Spitzer. Oh, thank God. I, I'm sorry. It is Elliot Spencer, but I was like, wait, the gentleman? Yeah. Was that um, <laughs> was that Sidney Leathers? Was that Spitzer? I think so. I sometimes no, that mix was... up Anthony Weiner and Elliot Spitzer's stuff. Um, I think it, I, yeah, I think that actually was Anthony Weiner. Oh. Um, Elliot Spitzer. Anywho, Elliot Spitzer is not in this. He wishes. Okay. So, it, but a photo of Elliot Spencer as a human, not as Pinhead. Exactly. So he's okay. been able to trace it all the way back to Elliot Spencer. And Kyle, of course, has no, he's like, what the fuck is this? And has just enough time to hide behind a curtain when Chenard brings in one of his patients, this poor guy's in his straitjacket. He takes out the straitjacket and has him lie down on the mattress. No. He's covered in open sores, obviously horribly mistreated. Of course. And he begs Chenard, like, get them off me, get them off me. And when he looks at his own skin, he's covered in maggots. Ugh. Chenard pulls out a— But str- he's not in, in real life. That's, like, something in his brain? Yes. Yeah, he's okay. perceiving it. But I think it's like, okay. oh, his brain is interpreting his horrible— open bed sores as maggots or like maggots being in them, which is like not far off. Like if he doesn't get treated, that's absolutely what would happen. Yeah. Chenard hands him a straight razor and the man takes it and he's trying to cut the maggots out of his skin. But in reality, as we see, he's just carving up his flesh. Well, Chenard watches him and he's screaming, get them off me, get them off me. And he collapses the mattress and then he goes and he drags the straight razor across his own throat 
The second he does, a skin a skinless Julia, basically her arms shoot out of the mattress and grab the poor patient. Aye. And she wraps her legs around him. And when he he sort of rolls off the mattress, she fully emerges from the mattress as she rolls with him. And then there's this incredible slow motion crawl chase scene where he's Ooh. crawling across the floor. And Julia's also crawling incredibly slowly. Is she all... She's all goofed No skin. Up. It's no skin. It's just bleeding, muscle. Um, wet. Real just wet. wet. So wet. And he almost makes it to the curtain where Kyle is hiding behind it. But then Julia's on him and jams her hand into his skull. And we see her bury her face in the back of his neck. I'm assuming drinking his blood or... Mm-hmm. Biting through his spinal cord. We don't. Re- I didn't really understand what she was doing at that point, but fortunately, Kyle is able to escape out the window before things get worse. Allison, at this point, what would you do? What would you do? Oh boy, who am I? Uh, let's say you're <laughs> Kyle. So you're Kyle. You've seen all this. You see your. You saw your boss. Essentially murder a man to bring back a skinless woman from the Hellraiser dimension. Who comes out of a bloody mattress that should absolutely be in police evidence, but instead is here. Um, but also, you, you do get health insurance. You know, you get paid time off, you know. I am exiting the space <laughs> and running as far away as I can at top speed. I'm stealing a car. I'm mm-hmm. driving to another st- city like mm-hmm. I am just I am starting my life over yeah and that's what I would do too I know because I like Kirstie but like I don't know her no mm-hmm. not no and it's like there's already been so, like no yeah. no you got to cut your losses Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U S sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free all lowercase shopify.com slash podcast free shopify.com slash podcast free. Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show Hysteria is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't... (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Fortunately, that's exactly, well, he doesn't exactly do that, but he is able to escape and runs away uh, while all this is happening. Um, from the floor, Julia calls over to Chenard, can you help me? And he sort of slides the mattress over her and she climbs up onto it, exhausted. But then we see her, like, just start to writhe sexually, like, on the mattress until she sits up and she fucking, you know, when you don't have skin, it's hard enough for to be a woman out here. When you're a woman without skin, you got to be able to turn on the charm. I mean, you've got to make up for it in other ways. It's all, that's a charisma game. 
And she hits him with these baby blues and says, don't be afraid of me. Luckily, he's also totally in because he yeah. already is obsessed with the lament configuration. Yeah, right. It's like, he's like, you don't have to ask me twice. Honey, I don't need skin. Yeah. <laughs> the less skin, the Who better. Needs skin? Um, back at the Institute, we see Tiffany assemble a new puzzle. Again, we're establishing her as our puzzle lady. Yeah. Um, in the morning, we see Chenard finds Julia looking at herself in a mirror, and she screams and punches the glass before turning to him and pouting, going, I'm cold. And he sort of sets her up with a heater in one of his suits, and it's like a white suit with no shirt underneath. An insane choice to give her a white suit. But it also it looks incredible. I like mean, a baggy white men's suit covered in blood with no shirt underneath. Honestly, a great look. That's a look. And he pours her a glass of wine, and she drinks it, and she takes his cigarette, and she's like experiencing human things again. Meanwhile, she's leaving blood smears everywhere in his apartment, which is very it's, funny. It's like um, on Arrested Development when um, Tobias is in the blue, or is like trying yeah. out the blue man group, and like ev- there's always just like blue paint on like all the surfaces. That's such, that's a funny, that's a funny like, not an Easter egg, but like such a funny running gag. Yeah. Um, and she turns to him and basically gives him, flashes those pearly whites, and he helps bandage her up. So basically he bandages her entire body and then gives her a dress, like for every blue, like a pretty blue-gray mm-hmm. cocktail dress, to wear over the bandages, sort of like the mummy, okay. like going to like a work party. I have a question. Yes, please. What's going on hair-wise? There's no hair. We don't okay, have a so lick no of hair. Skin. Yeah. Okay. yeah, unfortunately— um, and then you better believe, Allison, they start slow dancing, okay? And again, I've said this before, there really is someone for everybody. There is. You know? I, I really for every it. pot. Um, a sub for every dom, unless you live in Portland, okay? And then in there's an case, emergency shortage. <laughs> my God, everyone, get in your car and drive to Portland. If you're a dom, get to Portland. I'm sure the shortage doing? is still happening. I mean, I'm sure whatever dom, they probably have your hands full wherever you live. I'll be honest. Right. It seems like there's the a lot. The workload seems Yeah, it's onerous. Relentless. Exactly. <laughs> um, and while they're dancing, like, they, you know, she, like, takes his hand and puts it on her ass. And there's she start, he starts, like, caressing her body. And he runs his hands up her up her ass and then like exposing the flesh that isn't fully wrapped. And then he puts his hand on her chest and I wrote, isn't, and I, I hate to say this, titty meat, isn't it just all fat? I'm like, is it? It is, I think. Glands well, and fat. Yeah, and I was like, what is the fat? I guess if you have skin, I like I just had a lot of questions about like how the right, whole the muscle thing is- isn't over it, it's under it. Right. So, but I guess maybe you still have breasts. I don't, you know, again, we're getting into the weeds here. Right? It's supposed to matter. And she turns to him and she says, now all we need is skin. Of course, we shut to poor Kirsty taking a shower at the Institute. Oh, no. Kyle comes by and thank God for Kyle. Kyle says, I saw this. It's all true. Get dressed. I'm getting you the fuck out of here. Finally. Pulling this is like the smartest you, person we've ever seen Truly. in a movie. You said something. <laughs> And so he retrieves her some clothes, and he tells her, I saw this woman, and she's skinless. She's like, oh, yeah, that's my stepmom. That's fucking Julia. And she tells him, I need to get my hands on one of those lament configurations because I need to get my father out of hell. Julia does not deserve to be the one to come back. Like, fuck that bitch. The person who should come back is my father. Right. He, He says, well, he had them in her office, and I will go with you to get them. Okay, see, now I'm back to you're dumb. Yeah, I concur. And he, he, she, he tells one step tells forward, him, two steps back into hell, baby. And she tells Kyle, "You don't have to do this." And he says, which is very Han Solo, "I know." 
Back at Chenard's house, he and Julia, they're fucking making out. She's got fucking just bloody lips. Like, basically, her face is wrapped except for her eyes and her lips. For smooching. <sighs> just for um, smooching. And then we see, unfortunately, that he has brought her one of his, another patient. And then we sort of, again, much like in the original house, there is a room exclusively for murder. And we pan across it. There must be a dozen patients all murdered. So they did. They speed run it. Okay, I guess he was just mm-hmm. bringing them all night. You know, because yeah. this is this just happened. I mean, you got you gotta be efficient. And so, he, fortunately, he has given her enough blood so that she he unwraps her, and Julia's back, baby, and she looks better than ever. She's got hair. She's got skin. Ugh. She's got it Stunning. all. But she also now has power. Allison, would you rather have power or skin? Skin. Okay. Skin. Every day I'm choosing skin. I'm never not going to choose skin. <laughs> but what if you had the power to buy skin? Can she? No. I mean, where are you even buying skin? That's that's. I some, guess I imagine it's that's some dark web shit. Just look. How do you put it on? I guess it would have to be a whole suit, much like in Under the Skin. It would have to be a full suit. But anywho, she's back at it. She's not really to be like, like your size. I mean, yeah, it's just <laughs> right. You just have like a ponytail holder in the back, like it's a little too big, or like one of those like chip clips in the yes. back of your body. Yeah, when they like body. when models like you know for catalogs and exactly. stuff, they always like pin everything back. Right, because they don't want to hire fat people, so they have to put them in um, skinny people in their clothes. Um, Kyle and Kirstie sneak into Chenard's office, and and Kirstie's like, oh, shit, like, he knows all about this. Like, this is not good. No, it's not good. And she runs over to one of the boxes, and he says, do not open them until I check to see if they're in the house. And she's like, okay. He, of course, immediately finds the room with the corpses, and he's suddenly started by Julia, who's newly skin full. Mm. But, so he doesn't recognize Julia. So the way she's playing it, she's like, like, oh my God. can't be her. She has skin. Exactly. But he's like, she's like, oh my God, I I just stumbled on it too. Could you believe how horrible it is? And don't go in there. And he says, well, I have to. I have to see what's happening. He opens the door and he goes into the murder room. Meanwhile, back in Chenard's office, Kiersey's reading about Pinhead's origin story. We see her take the photo of Elliot Spencer, fold it, and put it in her pocket. So she's at least taking a little evidence it's a picture of a British man, so I don't know who, who you're going to show yeah, that to. I, yeah, you know? wait. It's not even like Pinhead in his final form, so. Um, Julia follows Kyle into the murder room and says, isn't it awful? He says, oh, my God, yes. And we see there's like one patch, like an open wound on her back. And she grabs Kyle. And I wasn't exactly sure because everything is khaki colored, but it looks like she grabbed mm-hmm. his dick through his pants. And she says to him, okay. come to mother. And uh, Kyle, of course, immediately is like, oh, I goofed up. And Julia says, you done goofed up. What's your name? I'm Julia. And of course, he realizes, oh, yes. no, it's okay. Julia, that Good. lady. Okay. Allison, she grabs Kyle and kisses him. And she, we see his, like, life force drain from him. Like, his, all his veins pop out. He has, like, boils on his face. And then she lets go and just fucking drops him like a sack of potatoes. Oh, my God. Feature wrap on Kyle. You hate to see it. And that's the thing. Do you go back? Poor Kyle learns you can't go back. You can't go back. Kyle, having been gone very long, Kirstie runs into the house and finds Kyle's dead body in the murder room and says, not again. Unfortunately, Julia emerges from behind her and says, oh, hello, Kirstie. This is is basically like, this is not a new fairy tale. It's just a different fairy tale. It says, Mm -hmm. I'm not just the evil stepmother now. I am the queen. And then they just start like fucking, like brawling. Whoa. and of course, Julia knocks Kirstie out cold. Like yeah, she has I mean, supernatural powers. She's super powerful. She she was hanging out without skin. Like now that she's got skin on, 
Yeah. What's stopping her? (laughs) Basically, we find out Chenard has been trying to open the puzzle box and had been unsuccessful. Mm. So he's like, you know, the one person I know who could really solve a puzzle, Tiffany, the mute teenage girl from my institute. Yes. And and they get her and bring her out and have her solve the box. And as she's doing it, Julia says to Chenard, are you sure? And he says to her, yes, I have to see. I have to know. Of course, she opens the box. All fucking hell breaks loose. All the yeah, glass well, and all the windows shatter. Yes. They love a bursting window in these movies, I feel. And we see, so we see Kirstie in one room, and or Tiffany in one room, and uh, Julia. So they're in the same room, rather, but there's two uh, hallways that slide open. They slide open, and we see this medieval stone labyrinth. So there's been a, there's now a physical passage to the Hellraiser dimension. And of course, emerging from the the openings, the Cinnabites. And they're all coming in. It's so dramatic. It's very much like the Catholic Mass. Like, they're, like, promenading in. They're, like, fabulous. They're, like, hello. You know. We are here. And we see the female Cinnabite sharpening a hooked blade to kill Tiffany. But Pinhead says, no, we're not here because of the hands that called us. We were called by desire. (gasps) Meanwhile, so we see this. There's a separate hallway. And basically, Julie and Chenard don't see the Cinnabites, they walk into the hallway. So they kind of, it was like a, a misconnection, right? Okay, yes. Just as the Cinnabites arrived, Julian Chenard walk into Ugh, Labyrinth. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's, you hate when it happens, you know. Real sliding doors moment. And this is before cell phones, so they couldn't even text right. each other like, hey, we're already here. So we're know? already here. And it's like, oh, we just left. Unfortunately, Kirstie awakens in the murder room to see light streaming in, like this like blue light. She's like, great, the Cinnabites are fucking here. She cool. gra- runs to Chenard's office and grabs another box and then runs into the hallway. And she, the, sorry, the massive stone hallway, and she yells, Daddy, I'm coming. Meanwhile, so now everyone is entering the labyrinth, right? Okay. Uh, Julie and Chenard are together. Tiffany is just wandering around lost alone, alone. in the labyrinth. Mute. And now uh, Kirsty has entered to try to find her father specifically. Okay. Poor Tiffany wanders to a part of the labyrinth that looks like it, you guessed it, an insane old carnival. So we get oh, this like amazing that's not terrifying. <laughs> these amazing, it's like an eyeless clown juggling his own eyeballs. <laughs> oh. a, a baby sewing <laughs> its own mouth shut, Allison. And we see that a, is the most horrifying thing I could think of. Yeah, I'll tell you, like, ooh, they were as someone who loves horror, Clever. you gotta you gotta be on your toes and you gotta always be thinking, you know, and to see a baby sewing its lips. Uh, it was just incredible, you know. We see uh, a f- sort of video repeated of Tiffany's mother, and her mother's clearly pleading, Chenard, please help my daughter. And then we see a black leather-gloved hand clamp over her mouth. No, that's not good. Meanwhile, Kirsty finds a room that looks like her old living room and finds framed photos of her at her actual mother. You know, Julia being her stepmother, her mother having died, and she's looking at it like, oh my God, my mother. Unfortunately, Allison... Blood starts waterfalling from under the photos and down the walls. No. And she screams, of course, as the Cinnabites emerge from the shadows into the room. And we see the box in her hand twisted this long diamond shape, which we hadn't Mm -hmm. seen before. Mm -hmm. And she said, I didn't do that. I didn't open it. And Pinhead and the female Cinnabite are like teasing and laughing at her. And they're like, oh, Kirstie, so eager to play, so reluctant to admit it. And she says, absolutely not. I'm there to rescue my father. And that's it. And they said, oh, he's in his own hell. Don't worry about him. It's too late. And she says, I do not believe it. And they say, you know what? Why don't you take a look around? 
feel free to explore and find out for yourself. We have eternity to explore your flesh. And part of it is— yeah that. But we have a turn to explore your flesh? Yeah, You don't yeah, want I someone that. to have an attorney to explore your flesh, Allison? No. It's like in any other—in a different—in the movie, like, Unfaithful, I'd be like, yes, we have an eternity to explore each other's flesh. Mm-hmm. In this, I'm like, don't look at me. Because <laughs> when they say explore, you know it's not going to be good. It's not like you're yeah, like— Yeah, it's not like, oh, I'm going to, like, lightly caress all of your body. It's like, oh, I'm going to shave off all of your skin with a hanger. Like, Right, it's just, I'm going like, to set you on fire for a thousand years. <laughs> Um, but part of what their sort of monologue is saying, like, we have all the time in the world. We've always been here. We will always be here. Oh, God. That's such a horrifying, like, pr- the permanence of it all is is maybe the most chilling. And I mean, honestly, the horror of horror of religion, horror of Catholicism, like, all yeah. of this is so Catholic, you know? Yeah, very. <laughs> um, so, Kirstie, they actually let her go. They're like, oh, have, have your fun. Go f- try to find your father, bitch. Like, we'll be here when you're ready to die, you know? Yeah. And so she sprints out back to the labyrinth. Meanwhile, Chenard and Julia are also in the labyrinth. We keep hearing the sound of this screaming baby in the air, like, over and over again. It's really terrifying. And we see at one point, um, much like the windows in his patient's um, Mm -hmm. rooms, uh, Chenard looks through a window and sees two men and a woman chained while also still having sex in a hot tub. And Julia whispers to him, Something that like pinhead. there'd be a rust factor, but that's oh, I, I think rust is half of the fun, Allison. Tetanus oh, is only oh. half the fun when you're fucking in the Hellraiser dimension. <laughs> um, and Julia whispers to him, which is something that Pinhead said in the first movie: "Is come, I have such sights to show you." Fortunately, in sprinting around frantically, uh, Kirsty stumbles on Tiffany, and she's like, "Oh, thank God!" Okay, so you open the box. So you have to know how to get us out of here. And Tiffany doesn't reply because she's like, bitch, I don't, like, I'm a teenage girl. I don't know anything. I don't know where the hell I am. I solved a puzzle. What are you talking about? And we get this beautiful shot of, like, I presume a matte painting of them walking along the top of the labyrinth, which is, like, it looks like an M.C. Escher, you know, like, a a million stairs leading to nowhere, like, doors, floating things. Love that. And then over the labyrinth, Allison, is a gigantic version of the long diamond shape that um, Kirstie's box had twisted yes. into. I think that's in the trailer. I was yes. like, this feels new. And it's gigantic, and it's just rotating over no. the labyrinth. And Shannard no. and um, Julia also see it, and Shannard goes, oh, my God. And Julia says, no, mine. And we find out that is, of course, Leviathan, Lord of the Labyrinth. Yes. The god of flesh, hunger, and desire— Yuck. And we suddenly, uh, in seeing um, Leviathan, Chenard is, like, hit with a blast of, like, all the bad shit he's ever done to his patients and, like, how what a horrible fucking piece of shit he is. Mm-hmm. And we even see Tiffany's mother begging him to help Tiffany. And he sort of cringes away from his own truth. Like, the Leviathan is showing him, like, look, you've been leading to this horrible life and you've been coming to me this whole time. And Julia says, this is what you wanted. He says, no, help me. And Julia turns to him and says, why do you think I was allowed to come back? It oh, wanted no. more souls. No. And she shoves Chenard backward into sort of like a dark like closet, like a cabinet, which has like a, a, emerged from the stone behind him. Good. Great. And it's sort of like a Cronenberg-style parody of medical experiments. So like this like thick, like biological uh, tentacle emerges that injects him with like f- uh, blue and red fluids and okay. it's sort of like, again, like the, playing with the body and like the med- medical instruments, these two monstrous hands lower what looks like, you ever seen like a wire slicer, like at a deli, like they used to slice like cheese? Yes. 
So oh, they take God. one of those and they start drawing it across his face, slicing into his throat and his face. No. And one no. of the monstrous hands just drives like it's either a fang or like a curved like claw, like claw. into his screaming mouth. And Julia says goodbye, doctor, as he is dragged away into the void. Alice, like, I gotta ask you, who will survive? Who will survive? Now I cut you off there, so I, I do didn't have want a to. question before I Please. attempt to answer this. Isn't that what he wanted? This is fundamentally the issue with Hellraiser, and that was the issue with the first movie as well. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, Frank opened it in the first one, and he's like, I gotta get out of here. I'm like, but, like, isn't that—I think we're thinking what we'll find out in this movie is, like, you really have to have the right temperament. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. if you're the kind of person—like, I think the reason that Julia is able to, like, maneuver this and actually seems to be getting off on it and, like, is able to, like, serve kind of by thing. She's that kind of person. And I think we're to think other people, if you're not cut out for it, you might not—you just can't survive it. But that's the—that's the, the conundrum of, like, mm-hmm. wouldn't—like, ex, like, oh, you know, experiencing— pleasure that's also painful beyond measure, wouldn't eventually you'd get used to it or, like, mm-hmm. at least start to enjoy, have some fun with it? Yeah, I, yeah, okay. I guess, like, and I do think that this is, like, true of, like, actual, like, real-world, non-Hellraiser world. Like, when some people are like, oh, I think I might like this, and then it's like, I'm not cut out for this, like, sexually or yes, even just, yeah. like, other physical experiences. You're like, whoop. Maybe not. So I could see maybe he's like, yeah, I'm into this. And then all of a sudden it's happening. He's like, actually, not me. And um, we'll, we'll find out sort of what happens okay, in a minute great. here. Um, I, I think that's a great question. I am going to—it's, like, hard because I'm like, who's technically alive? So technically alive, we've got Kirstie Tiffany. and Tiffany. Okay. I think that Kirstie will die. She'll, get up, she'll end up trapped in hell with her father. Okay. And they'll be together, but— in hell and dead. Yeah. And that Tiffany will survive and escape and, and I don't know, aren't there more of these movies? Or There sure are. There are So sure I feel like she seems mm-hmm. like a prime person to, you know, carry on into the next film. So yeah. I'm going to guess Tiffany survives Final Girl. Great. And then other than that, um, I mean, everybody else is kind of like dead and in this <laughs> other dimension and it's like, I guess yeah. you stay there for eternity so like not much is changing there. Right. How do you live once you're already dead? Right. Uh, yeah, I'll always take a it. question. All right. <laughs> when we simply are <laughs> Look, not going to answer, we'll take it. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free. Shopify.com slash podcast free. Hi, I'm Erin Ryan, a writer and host of the podcast Hysteria. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff and also a host of Hysteria. And this week, we were asked to talk about Women's History Month. And on behalf of women everywhere, okay, fine. Our show Hysteria is about the way news and culture impacts women in America every week of the year. From the latest on reproductive rights to the ways pop culture handles women's stories. And not just because it's March, okay? We exist the other 11 months of the year, too. What? Don't. (laughs) Uh, You heard it here first. 
Don't even get us started on our exclusive YouTube series, This Fucking Guy, where we try to figure out how the worst people in America got to be so awful. So if you're looking for a pod that's by the ladies and for everyone, make sure to subscribe to Hysteria wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, Kirstie and Tiffany continue into the labyrinth until looking for Kirstie's father until Kirstie sees like the stained glass door that was the front door of her father's house. The okay. one that where all the uh, events crumbled. of the first movie happen. So Tiffany immediately like tries to drag her away, but Kirstie says, no, I have to rescue him. And she tells Tiffany, if I'm not back soon, escape and close the box. Get out of here and save yourself. So again, saying the right thing, like just get the fuck out of here if you need to. When she walks inside, there's like it's like a long chapel-like space with dozens and dozens of candles, and we see a platform row out of the wall, and un- it's a white transparent sheet over a writhing woman, like a beautiful woman, like screaming and moaning in ecstasy, covered in a white sheet, and then it mm-hmm. rolls back in, and then it rolls back out, this time with two platforms with two women. Mm-hmm. And then Allison, you're not going to believe this. It happens a third time. Now there's three women oh my nude God. under their sheets Rule on these platforms. True in comedy, true in horror. And Kiersey says, which again, she's a plucky gal, fuck this, and then pulls one of the sheets away only for the woman underneath to disappear. She okay. walks on. Great. She finds like a vanity with like spilled makeup on it and a candle. And she looks at a... A lipstick. I thought she was going to put it on because it's like, listen, you might as well, it'll, if you're the labyrinth, might as well turn to look. I mean, yeah. Try, when, that, that's exactly the place to try <laughs> something new. When she looks up, written in lipstick on the glass is the same message. I am in hell. Help me. Allison, she turns and the three nude women, women roll out from the wall. They're now covered in blood. They're soaked okay. in blood. But they have skin. They have skin. For, as far as we can tell under the sheet, there is skin there. Okay. They definitely have boobs, and I think that requires the no skin. Yeah. Um, a figure emerges from the shadows, but Allison, it's not her father. It's her uncle, Frank. And he, of course, immediately grabs her and is, like, on his bullshit. He says, Don't be naughty, Kirsty, or I'll have to punish you first. Huh? Perhaps you'd like that. Ew. And she's like, you're my uncle. and Get the fuck away from me. And he gestures to the nude women under the sheets and says, this is my hell. Every day they tease me forever, but they never deliver. So his hell is being having beautiful women that he can't fuck. I was like, this could actually be a lot worse, dude. Like, grow this up. This is like many men's experience on earth. Like, it's this is like- my experience. Like, I, I, I polite <laughs> yes, about it. Like, just because there are women there doesn't mean you have to have sex that, with them, Frank. Right, and that you are entitled to get to fuck them. And like, grow also, up. like, no one is like, why you're slicing your face off? Like, I don't understand, like, what the— Not like, yet, anyways. To just have, well, just to have the, like— Exactly. The, like, pain of, like, unfulfilled desires is not the same as, like, skin-ripping <laughs> Right, a tentacle being rammed on your throat and poison being injected into your veins. Yeah, that's very different. <laughs> yeah. And he tells her, you know, that wasn't your father who delivered the message. That was me, Kirstie. And I did it so you'd come down here to be with me. What a dickhead. And just then that a a a, a platform with no nude woman on it, a clean sheet-covered platform rolls out of the wall. And the implication is, I'm going to fuck That's, you on this platform, please. And she tells him, okay, I'll do anything. I just don't hurt me. But then she walks to the platform. She snatches up the sheet, which is instantly you recognize it's polyester. 
and she holds it up and she says to Frank, I'd rather burn. And she hurls the sheet of the vanity, which is covered in a, a, a candles. I'm gonna say a thousand tea lights. Sure. And the whole thing bursts into flame and immediately sets off like the whole room is suddenly in flame. Now, something happens, I don't entirely know what's happening. Um, which is he starts to cloth his own skin and start mm. is screaming, no, no, not my skin. And it's like, bitch, you're doing that. But again, I don't run the Hellraiser dimension. And suddenly the flames die, die down and we now see that Frank is totally skinless. And they right. both turn and look and Kirstie, uh, right behind Kirstie is Julia who has captured Tiffany. So Tiffany and Julia, now we're all in the same room. And Frank says to Julia, I knew you'd come. I knew how much I mean to you. Kiss me, and we'll have a real family reunion. No. And Julia goes over to Frank, again, skinless, and, like, sensuously rubs her fingers over her, his lips before plunging her hand into his back and ripping out his heart. And he falls to the ground, and she tells him, nothing personal, babe. But, like, now what happens to him? I imagine he just materializes back together and then like has to stay there, right? Because he's like, not alive. Right, you're not alive. But he wasn't before. Like it's like I just don't like some of the rules of the Hellraiser dimension are confusing okay. to me. Absolutely. I guess we think he's not dead, or like the, the, this kind of death is not the standard death that we're familiar with. If that makes okay. sense. Like this will continue. Like it'll be more like Sisyphean. Yeah. Like, where it's like yeah. this keeps Punishment happening. Forever. You were punished forever. Like. She can yeah. come back and rip your heart out anytime. You're going to regenerate and you have to keep living in this hell of like not fucking these women. Allison, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think you Look hit the me. pin into the head. I hit the pin right into the head instead of out from my skull. <laughs> that's really, I'm going to, that's, that's going to keep me up at night. <laughs> I can't believe I said something that upset you. <laughs> I, I honestly forgot about it. I'm thinking about it again. It's even more upsetting. <laughs> like a chia pet or something. You know? As someone who has metal implanted in their body oh, yeah. in a very serious and terrible way, um, I, I don't find it that scary to imagine compared to all the other things that we've talked about on this podcast. If somebody had a giant super magnet, would you get stuck to it, do you think? No, because it's titanium, which is non-magnetic. Oh, cool. Like the, um, like the Sia song? Yes. Okay, great. So fortunately, in this sort of chaos, Tiffany and Kirstie take the opportunity to run, but Kirstie still has like the diamond-shaped puzzle box she drops it, and Julia manages to pick it up. So now it's in Julia's hand. Oh, boy. And we see, unfortunately, we were talking about earlier, like, whether or not you're cut out for the Hellraiser dimension. Turns out, Chenard was, because we see at the top of the labyrinth, this dark cabinet emerge, and he emerges, now a Cinnabite, totally hairless, yeah, bound well, that's by like wire. where mm -hmm. he belongs. And he says to himself in that, like, pinhead, like, gravelly voice, he's also wearing, like, S&M gear, obviously. He says to himself... So now he's just having he's fun. He's like, we are here. Let's do this. Allison, from the side of the labyrinth, a huge slimy tentacle with a lamprey eel mouth latches you onto know, this the— this is like the second time in horny months we've talked yeah. about lamprey eels. And it's like, what is up with these guys? I want to say it's because it's vaginal. I, I want to say there's something about it that evokes— it's like, it, it is the um, It is both vaginal dentata. and phallic. yes. The perfect combination of the two, wow, the lamprey wow. eel. Um, unfortunately, the eel latches onto the top of his head and sort of like now is puppeting Chin uh, Chinard. Chinard, okay. 
And he, he his reaction, and like I I don't fault the actor, but his reaction is like, no, 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 Like it's so, it's not like what you think it's going to be. It, it looks like he's like, um, what, like in Home Alone 2, you know, when uh, yeah. when the bandits gets electrocuted, he turns into a skeleton. Like it's yes. a little silly for this point of the movie, but it's really fun. Meanwhile, Julia is trying to catch up to Tiffany and Kirsty to kill them, keep them in the Hellraiser dimension. And this horrible wind starts blowing through the labyrinth. They're all being blown around. But Tiffany sees the puzzle box in Julia's hand now. And she grabs Julia's hand. And just as she does, Julia's skin, much like an under the, under the skin, actually, Julia's skin rips off like a sort of a glove coming off a hand. Ugh. And her actual body gets sucked down the labyrinth into a void carried by some sort of unholy wind. Mm. Oh, okay. So her hand is still clenching it, but her hand is just skin, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And at this point, uh, Tiffany, I think, and Kirstie realized, we got to get the fuck out of here, okay? People are getting ripped out of their skin. We don't know why. We got to get out of here. So they run for it, and they make it back to the hospital, out of the labyrinth. But the door to the labyrinth is still open. And Kirstie's caught up because she's like, I couldn't find my father. I failed him. And she's like, Daddy, I'm sorry. Tiffany, meanwhile, as the mute teenager, is like, we got to get out of here. And we, they start running, and they run through that big open room of patients. Allison, all of them are playing with a different puzzle box. Jesus Christ. And at the end of the room, they have, like, these big double doors. They burst open. And Chenard, who, again, is now... Yeah, in, in whole, leather. Got a whole thing going on. Dangling from the tentacle, which puppets him, bursts in and says, the doctor is in. Incredible writing. And Tiffany says the first word. So again, Tiffany has not said one word. She says the first word she, word she says all movie, shit. Again, it's perfect. It's a perfect film. Brilliant. And if that wasn't, if the one tentacle wasn't bad enough, Allison, Shannara lifts his hands and his, the tentacles, uh, uh, three tentacles explode from each hand. So he has these, like, they're, like, again, very phallic, like, snake mouth. But, like, the ends of the tentacles can become different things. Like, it becomes a knife blade. It becomes, like, another little mouth. It becomes a barb. And he he latches onto the closest patient. And he screams, "Ah, so you're a doctor. I recommend amputation." Allison, he kills all of the psychiatric patients in that room. Yeah, no shit. Kirsty and Tiffany duck into another room to hide. Wouldn't you know it? The Cinnabites are already there. It's full of those chains hanging yeah. from the ceiling. They come prepared, and they're like, "All right, Kirsty, we had you had your fun. We let you look at the labyrinth, but no more deals. So don't think you're getting out of it this time." Okay. And she says, well, I don't have I don't have a deal. I'm not here to trick you. I just have information. And from her pocket, she takes the photo of Elliot Spencer, Pinhead, that she stole from Chenard's office. Mm-hmm. And she handed it to Pinhead. And he's like, who is this, some other escaped soul like your Uncle Frank? Like, we're supposed to give a fuck about this person? And she tells him, no, it's you. You, you were all human once. And the Cinnabites really take a minute and reflect on that. They're like, oh, hmm. that's crazy. And like, Oof. um... Butterball's there and the Chatterer. And yeah. They're kind of like, oh, wow. It's, All the major players. Wow. It really makes you wonder what we're up to. We used to be <laughs> like them. And in that moment, Chenard again bursts into room and says, I'm taking over this operation. And you girls will be my first. Well, oh, no, sorry. I'm taking over this facility and you girls will be my first operation. So I think the problem with that is Chenard is actually trying to one-up the Cinnabites. And that pisses them off. Pinhead says to them, oh, good, a fight. And then he starts shooting chains into Chenard's body, 
So it's a brawl. It's Chenard versus the Cenobites. Okay. Unfortunately, Chenard's, like, incredibly powerful, and so he's able to, like, pierce— Really took to the Hellraiser dimension. Oh, like, yeah, gangbusters. Like fish to water. Again, he was built for it. And he starts, like, incapacitating all the Cenobites. And as Tiffany watches at horror, we see the Chatterer gets skewered against, like— I think we mentioned for the first movie. Like, there's sort of a spinning pole that has, like, mm-hmm. human mm-hmm. flayed flesh on it and ears— And Chatterer gets skewered against the pole only for the pole to turn and realize a small human boy. And I think, and still in the Chatterer's costume. So I think we're supposed to be like, they were really children. Like, they were people. And, like, he has now been returned to his human form Mm -hmm. in the saddest way, which is like, oh, he was a child, you know, at some point. So I think it's just sort of, like, revealing their humanity in this way that we're supposed to kind of sympathize with the Cenobites. Um. And at this point, everyone has been incapacitated or otherwise taken out, except for Pinhead. And Chenard shoots his blue lightning out, and Pinhead is transformed back into Elliot Spencer. And Chenard slits his throat. And we see him choking and gagging and collapsing. So as far as we know right now, Chenard has murdered all of the Cenobites. Wow. Tiffany and Kirstie run into the hallway. If I'm there, I'm like, well, I'm not getting out of this alive if they killed those guys. Yeah. What does that even mean? Right. right. If he could kill them, and they were going to kill us. Yeah. It's a no-win. Tiffany tells Kersey, I have to go back and solve the puzzle to end this. Basically, she has to go in and solve the diamond-shaped Leviathan puzzle. She's like, it's not enough to solve a regular puzzle. I have to solve that one to close the labyrinth. And I was like, Tiffany's very good at puzzles because I would not have figured out why you'd do that. So uh, they run back into the labyrinth and they make it back to Julia's, like, deflated skin, which holds the Leviathan um, box. And... Tiffany runs up to the actual, the god itself, the Leviathan level, and she leaves Kirstie behind. This is Tiffany's path now. And we see Tiffany again flashing back, and we see the truth of what really happened, which is Chenard murdered Tiffany's mother and experimented on her and is just sort of keeping her there specifically, ostensibly, to open the puzzle box. So now this is Tiffany standing up being like, fuck you, motherfucker. I'm Exactly. And Kirstie runs up behind her and says, I see it now. It's a puzzle. We're going to the Leviathan. Like, it's a god, but it is also a puzzle. Yeah. And you could solve it, right? Like, we've solved the other puzzles. You solved everything else. Yeah. Unfortunately, Tiffany's about to open the diamond-shaped puzzle. Chenard, on his stalk, emerges from the side up next to her. And the puzzle box flies out of Tiffany's hand. And I'm just saying, Allison, it sure seems like all hope is lost. Does seem that way. And Chenard sort of looms towards Tiffany, tells her, surgery's open. And what's this? What's on today's schedule? Evisceration. Wow. Suddenly, from behind, Tiffany is grabbed by Julia. And Chenard says to Julia, I knew you'd come back. And they go and they embrace each other and they kiss, which gives Tiffany time to solve the puzzle. We're talking five seconds. Like, this is, like, insane. And I I wrote, wrote my note, this bitch loves puzzles. Unfortunately, Chenard, he was distracted by this hot kiss, and he grabs for Tiffany, and he shoots out his tentacles, which now have blades at the end. Oh, and she's good. able to dodge out of the way, and the blades get stuck into the concrete of the labyrinth. Yeah, what are what kind of structures are we dealing with here? But yeah. And so he's trying to, like, pull. He's essentially, he's, like, stuck to the labyrinth. So when his proboscis tries to lift him up, he is stuck. He's being strained between his tentacles and the, the stalk. 
to the point that his head gets fucking ripped off his body. Great. Tiffany tumbles to the edge of the platform, and Julia reaches down for her. And, of course, she doesn't want to take Julia's hand. No, don't trust this bitch. But Julia says, trust me. And when she takes her hand, she hauls her up. And when she finally is safe, Julia reaches up and pulls off her skin— it was Kirstie underneath there. She put on Julia's skin so that the Leviathan wouldn't recognize her. Wow. So, way to go, Kirstie. I know. So everything is good. good. Unfortunately, Kirstie screams, we got to get out of here. And the Leviathans, of course, is like twisting and like shooting blue lightning throughout the labyrinth. Like the, the Leviathan itself is being undone. So they sprint back to the hallway and they make it through the door right to the Chenard Institute to the sound of a baby screaming and crying, and they make it into the room just as the door closes behind them. And they laugh, and they smile. Now, of course, all of the other beds in the facility have, like, floral wreaths on them because all of the patients were murdered, which seems rude. I was hoping at the end that it would be like, oh, it turns out they weren't they weren't dead or something, but yeah, they were. no. Allison. Oh, so we see Tiffany and Kirstie leave the facility, ostensibly to build a life, you know, free of the Cenobites. When unfortunately, when Chenard's home is sold and the movers are packing up, they find the blood-soaked mattress in his office, and it's still wet to the touch. Yeah, of course. And one of them I, touches I assume it. that it's wet all the time. All the time. It's hard to dry a mattress. Yeah. And one of them touches the mattress and calls down to his coworker, says, "Get a look at this!" And an arm shoots out and grabs him. And when we see the coworker come in to check. He is horrified to see a rotating column emerge out of the mattress. And as it rotates, we see it's covered in flayed skin, screaming human faces, including Chenard and Julia. And finally, we turn and see the man we saw at the beginning, who is the man who retrieved the box out of the fire at the end of the first movie. And he's got, you better believe it, Allison, grasshoppers crawling all over his face. And he asks, what's your pleasure, sir? The Hellraiser. Wow. So, Allison, tell me, what are some fatal mistakes you think people have made in the movie Hellbound, colon, Hellraiser 2? Fatal mistakes. I mean, Chenard's whole deal yeah. Yeah. is a fatal mistake. Like, wanting to go into the Hellraiser, being obsessed with the Hellraiser realm, do like, you know, murdering so many people in order to get there. It just is not, yeah, not a good way to, way to be. But then I think um, to your think, point, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm saying like to your point, it's unclear because it's like he did eventually be like, oh, I can't believe I hesitated, but then his head got ripped off. But, but to your point, it's like, well, does that mean it'll just grow back? Or Right. Like, he's not, if, if he's already dead in a conventional sense and he can't die in the Hellraiser sense, then maybe it wasn't a mistake and he was right, but also, boy, he seemed pissed when his head got ripped off. Right. Like, that doesn't seem like he was, like, his end goal. Um, Yeah. And then I think also, like, Kyle, like, Kyle, you were so right in going back and being like, I saw this. We gotta go. And then when Kirstie was like, I'm gonna, well, also, like, her being like, I'm going into Hellraiser to save my father from hell. Yeah. Um, He should not, like, he should have been like, no, no, no we are running away forever. We are not doing this. And then they both would still be alive. Yeah, you're not wrong. I guess what's hard about it is like, 
You just don't want to see your dad burning forever in hell. You know totally. what I mean? And if totally. you could get him, knowing that she knew what she knew, which is that Frank returned, it just seems like everyone who does return is evil. Yeah. So her father wouldn't be able to return because he wasn't evil. He was just a regular person. Right. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry, Kirstie. But you everyone it. else feels like they're really, you know, trapped in this, this grand design. So, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, not like, a ton of free will. Yeah, like what is their? Can, right. they, they can't leave. I mean, by yeah, it doesn't they're seem. There. That's what's yeah. happening. Um, and also, yes, there are a lot of other movies in the franchise, so we'll find out even more about Ellie yes. Spencer and oh, good. you know, sort yeah, of his adventures in space. Um, and then finally, where would you put Hellbound Hellraiser Two on the spooky scale, Allison? A spooky scale. I think, like, because, like, the actual, like, the plot and, like, the world, I know, are so, like, beyond our reality and, like, not something where I'm like, is this going to happen to me? Um, <laughs> but the horrors happening are so disgusting. Yeah, grotesque. Like, no skin, lots of, like, devices that shouldn't be weapons becoming weapons and all the kind of, like, I, I think a seven. Okay, great. Ooh, okay. Okay, great. Hi, I know, but scary. Um, You know, I'm going to, again, I'm sorry. I feel like we got a comment recently, like, I always, like, rate them lower than people think. But I'll be honest, like, the things I found really scary about this is, like, the brutality that is realistic. And then once you get, you know, a man on a giant tentacle busting yeah. into a mental institution screaming, Yeah, well, doctor now having in, fun. That's just a blast and a half. Yeah. I'm having yeah. a great time versus genuinely being scared. I'm going to give this a four. You know, yeah. again, 10 for I how much I fucking say. enjoyed yes. this. Right, yeah. 10 but out of 10. But not scary, you know, but not scary conventionally. 10 tentacles out of 10 tentacles <laughs> for fun. The worst moment is when Chenard is watching his patient. Um, yeah, that's fucked up. Cut himself with a, a razor. That's awful. And actually, I'd like to uh, make a book recommendation. And see, this is why I, I think I was supposed to— not supposed to. I don't believe in that. But like, the, what, everything has a silver lining. My silver lining of losing my phone is I was forced to read books. Oh, well, on the toilet mostly. But like, I was just like, yeah. I needed to be having something in my hand, and so I started reading a book that I had purchased and, and really had wanted to read, but didn't. It's called "Stranger to Ourselves: Unsettled Minds and the Stories That Make Us" by oh. Rachel Aviv, and it's really good and um, touches on some of the themes actually that are discussed in this movie. Um, specifically, like, what are the narratives that we give people with mental illnesses to understand what's going mm -hmm. on? Mm -hmm. And if they're wrong, or alternately, if there's no way to really know if they're right or not, how does it affect how they think of themselves and, like, their their experience of their illness? And the first chapter is this really interesting story of this guy who was um, in, an, in a facility for about a year that did not believe in medicating depression. And it really was sort of, like, of a time where mental illness was like a personal defect rather than a medical problem. He gets out. He goes to a different facility. He's there for three months. They give him medication. He ends up suing the first facility. So it's sort of seen as this like seminal moment in establishing that you could treat mental illness with medication. Mm -hmm. And But it does sort of like, it doesn't really, you know, it's not like it's like his life turned out great. It's just like it didn't really resolve everything, but it sort of like each chapter explores different situations and different people 
who are caught between like, there's no easy answers, you know? So it's like the answers you as a doctor try to provide your patient might influence how they conceive of themselves in a really mm-hmm. negative way. Yeah. So if that sounds interesting at all to anybody, Great. check it out. Strangers to ourselves. And Read again, I, I think I had to have my phone stolen to um, return to my love of reading. And, yeah. you know, what could you do? And hopefully they didn't steal my identity. Um, you, you never know. know. Exactly. All right. And, well, uh, on that note. Read some books. Stay out of the Hellraiser dimension. And uh, most importantly... Sh- Keep it horny. Keep it riz. Keep it riz. Baby riz. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Mm-hmm.